God's word in your hands and turn to the book of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 2, and we've been in a uh, short series to kind of kick off our ministry year uh, that we've entitled uh, I Church, uh, trying to uh, see how the first church connected the individual believer uh, to the corporate body uh, of the local church. And uh, we're uh, going to be finishing up the series next week, and uh, we'll be starting, uh, as we've been uh, sharing with you, a new series out of the book of First Peter. Uh, the name of the, the series will be Strangers in a Strange Land and looking at Paul's guide uh, to how we are to journey through our life here uh, as uh, Christians, as sojourners, as Peter says. And uh, of course, that will be connected with our small group series. And so uh, in the next couple of weeks, if you weren't able to start with us uh, about four or five weeks ago uh, with this iChurch series with regards to small groups, it would be a great time for you to sign up. Uh, with regards to that. We will be in First Peter uh, all the way uh, through pretty much the school year uh, to the uh, end of May. And so we're looking forward to uh, being a part of that and gleaning verse by verse what God would have uh, to say to us with regards to uh, his calling for us as Christians. But we come again, once again, to uh, this series in the book of Acts where we have looked at the early church's example of how we, Village Bible Church, are to live our lives not only as individuals but as a corporate body of believers and we've looked at the issue of worship and community and last week we looked at the issue of spiritual growth and how we are to be devoting ourselves as as the first church did to the apostles teaching and to be growing the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ again not only as individuals but as a corporate body. And today we go back to the book of Acts. We go back to that uh, passage of Scripture from the day of Pentecost, and we begin to see how God is calling us to yet another uh, example from the early church, and that is the issue of stewardship. And so we're going to be looking at uh, the issue of stewardship this morning. I'm going to ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 uh, through 47. This has been our key passage, and uh, we'll uh, address it again this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's bow and ask God's blessing again. Father God, we come before you once again. We have worshipped you in song and in fellowship with one another as we've gathered together. Lord, we have come around your Lord's table to remember the greatest and most significant thing in human history, and that is the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross of Calvary. Lord, now we rejoice in your revealed will through your word that you have called us to live differently because of all that you've done, because you have died for us and forgiven us of our sins, because you are our Lord, you are our creator, God, because of the love that you have lavished upon us. Now, Lord, you have called us to something, and what that is is to be good stewards, to be followers of yours, to go where you call us to go, to do what you've called us to do, and to do so, Lord, not simply out of a duty, but out of a deep and profound desire to glory in you. Lord, we see this example in the early church, and so, Lord, let that be our aim this morning as we look to men and women just like us who did powerful things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak through me and speak to us, your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
and amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Yesterday, I had the privilege of participating in a golf outing, and uh, golf is something uh, that I've really, in my uh, these last couple of years, really grown to love. I'm terrible at it, and yet I seem to find myself, the worse I get at playing it, the more I love to do it. And what I'm learning is, is the Lord is teaching me how to not sin in my anger. And uh, as, uh, as I'm learning that, one of the things that I've grown to love, I, I do a lot of golfing uh, many times by myself. There's a local golf course uh, where I will uh, sneak away and play nine holes just by myself and spend some time. And it's, it sounds like an excuse, but really spend some time praying and, and just talking to God and uh, then letting him convict me of my sin of anger as I go through the course. Uh, but uh, one thing I do love is playing in golf outings. And one of the things, if you're a golfer, you know the term a scramble. A scramble for you non-golfers is where uh, you're linked up with four other individuals, a foursome, and you comprise a team. And your job is to play the best ball that is hit from the four players that you're with. And so each of you will hit uh, your ball, and then wherever, whoever has the best shot, you pick that place where you're going to play next, and everybody hits again until you get to the final uh, place of, of putting the ball into the hole. Now, a lot of us, I don't know about many of you golfers, but golfing is probably one of the most intimidating sports around. Uh, one of the things I always got to talk myself up to is, uh, is the idea that I may be the worst in the foursome. I may be the worst player, and, and how am I going to cover my bad golf playing with the guys that are around me? And at times, as golfers, I'm sure many of you, even though you wouldn't admit it, there are many times that you feel when you come to that foursome that you have nothing to offer the team. I was once a part of a, a golf outing not, not too long ago where I was put with a bunch of ringers. These guys hit the ball straight, they hit it far, and uh, they knew it. And uh, the only thing I brought to the table was some good stories as we would drive in the golf cart. And I remember feeling total intimidation. And that's what golf can do because what happens is, is golf is something where everybody's watching you do your thing. It's not like you can hide your golf swing. It's not like, and I've tried this, everybody, hey, look, there's a moose, and hit the ball, and uh, I, I'm lying. Throw the ball as far as you can down the fairway. Um, you can't get away with that. And so the scramble is a fun thing because at the end of the day, whether you're a good golfer or bad, one thing I've learned in the uh, probably dozen or so golf outings I've been at in the last couple of years is that at some point in the 18 holes, everybody's ball will be used. Even if you're the worst of golfers, in fact, I was with a golfer yesterday, one of his first times ever golfing, and we used three of his putts. Now, the kid couldn't hit the ball straight to save his life, but I don't know how he did it. He would close his eyes, and he would hit the ball on the green, and it went in. And we used this ball. We said, that's the one we're going to use. And he says, well, I'm a terrible golfer. But what he did was made us one stroke better as a result, even though he was no good. You know, spiritual growth, and especially stewardship, is a lot like a scramble in golf. We all come to that first tee, and there's a lot of intimidation. For some, we look, and there's that guy, and he's wearing all of the Callaway or top flight gear. His bag is pristine. His clubs are all polished. And when he steps up to the tee, he is confident, he is poised, and he hits that ball. And it is so hard for you to see it because he hits it so far and so fast down the fairway. And you show up, and your clubs are 150 years old. 
your bag is, is maybe you don't even have a bag, but a pillowcase to put your, your golf clubs in, and, and your clubs are terrible because you really don't have a clue of what club should be used in the, what situation. And so you come in, you have no confidence, no poise, and you sit there around and you say, well, we'll just let that individual do all the hitting. We'll let that individual take care of uh, the game. I'll just sit back and I'll watch. Spiritual gifts are a lot like that and our use of our gifts because we look at the people that have all the gifts it seems that have all the abilities with all the confidence and all of it seems God's grace just lavished upon them and we sit back as individuals and we say we'll watch them we'll stand in awe of them but what we learn in the book of Acts is that it's not just the heavy hitters that were doing all the work all of them were a part and just like in a scramble, the book of Acts shows us at very significant times, nobodies, guys that seemingly had nothing to bring to the table, men and women who seemed to be just like us, full of dysfunction and frailty, at just the right time would drop a putt, would have a chip that just was amazing, that would move the church in a positive direction. As we examine the early church, we look that everybody has a part to play. And that's no different here at Village Bible Church. We do not look at a handful of people and say, well, they're the super Christians. They're the ones who have all the gifts and all that. And we'll sit back and watch them. No, brothers and sisters, the only way that we will accomplish God's mission for us as a church is if everyone plays their part. Because when everybody plays their part, no matter how little we think we have in the area of giftedness, we are better as a result. And we will do far more for the kingdom of God as we do those things together. Now the issue of stewardship, when we talk about it, many of you will say, well, we're going to talk about money. Well, money does have some involvement with stewardship, but I want to talk about the issue of really spiritual gifts and the use of our spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God. And I want to notice a couple things this morning that we need to know and understand with regards to spiritual gifts. Now we know as we look at the book of Acts that the church is doing some amazing things. Peter has just gotten up and spoken in front of thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people, 3,000 the scripture tells us, have been added to their number. That's a pretty successful day at the office for Peter and the disciples. But let us not forget that that same Peter and those same disciples were a group of broken down, uh, fearful, and failed men and women. That 120 that were meeting in the upper room had no idea what God had planned for their life. All they knew is that they were to sit in the upper room and wait for the coming of what Jesus said was the Holy Spirit. They didn't know exactly what that looked like. They didn't understand what was going to come as a result of that. They were still probably incredibly fearful of what was going to happen with the authorities in Rome. And so we see that these are not professional Christians. These are novices. These are scared individuals, probably a lot like many of us today, not sure of the future and not sure of what God would have for us in the days and weeks to come. We need to remember that John chapter 20 and 21 tells us that Peter and some of the disciples are so failed and so much struggling with the failures of what transpired around the crucifixion that they're ready to leave and to go back to their life as previous men, as fishermen. They were so tired of trying to get their game right. They were so tired of trying to accomplish something for God and yet fail that they were willing to take the gifts that God had given them and just go home. But something transpires that I think is so important for us. 
to remember because just a few short weeks later, it's that same Peter who's standing before thousands. It's the same Peter who couldn't say that he walked with Jesus to a little girl that he would now stand before thousands and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? What changed those individuals to make them fully devoted and fearless when it came to the use of their gifts for the kingdom? The answer is the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the first thing this morning is that if we are going to understand our use of our gifts and the stewardship of those gifts, we need to recognize, write this down, that stewardship is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Now we can't address the issue of stewardship by just having some sort of volunteer drive. What I can't say is, hey, uh, find out whatever you want to do and then go sign up in the foyer and so that we can have all of our ministries taken care of, that all of our programs are well manned. That's not what stewardship is about. What stewardship is about is it begins in many ways at the communion table, remembering what Jesus Christ did for you and me. That Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor and gave the gift of his life and the gift of salvation to you and I. We receive that gift, and as a result of receiving that gift, our lives are never the same, and as a result of our lives being changed forever by the power and work of Jesus Christ, we now, as Christians, say, Lord, what can I do? Lord, how can I serve you? Lord, in what ways can I give thanks? And so stewardship has to begin with that heart issue. It has to first of all recognize what God and what Christ Jesus has done in our lives and then ask the question, now Lord, what would you have of me? Far too many of us simply just look at serving in the church as a task, as a job, as a, as a way to quote unquote help out. But it's far greater than that. Now I want you to notice some things within our text this morning. Go to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Now notice Jesus tells his disciples, these are some of the final words that Jesus will share before he ascends to heaven. And in, in verse 4 he says, On one occasion while he was eating with him, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. I want you to know that stewardship first and foremost begins with God's grace. It begins with God's grace. Notice they are to wait, they're not to do anything on their own, but they are to wait and what they are going to be given is a gift. A gift that they don't deserve, a gift that they're not even sure what it all entails, but a gift nonetheless. We know that that gift of course is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The disciples have heard about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, we know that uh, they had heard some teaching on the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter, the one who would come and would uh, lead to all righteousness, would convict sinners of their sin, and would uh, uh, move in the hearts and lives of believers. We know in John chapter 21, or I'm sorry, 20 verse 21, that Jesus, in appearing to the disciples, says, peace be with you, of course, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he appears to them and he says, peace be with you. And the scripture says in John 20, 21, that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. 
Now we know that that wasn't the full revelation of the Holy Spirit, but they had a working knowledge that this Holy Spirit was something that was pretty amazing up to the point that Jesus had even said that because of the Holy Spirit that greater things would the disciples do than even Jesus did. And so they knew that whatever was coming was something that was coming from God, it was promised by Jesus Christ, and it was going to allow them, it was going to enable them to do some things, even greater things than that that Jesus had done in his earthly ministry. Now notice what then transpires. Fast forward, of course, now to uh, Acts chapter 2. So we know he has promised them. He says, hang out in the upper room, wait there, and you'll know when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And verse 1 of chapter 2 tells us, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They had obeyed what God had asked of them, what Christ had called them to. Now notice what happens. Suddenly, a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want you to notice a couple things this morning. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, notice the power, the sound of a rushing and blowing wind. Notice the image, tongues of fire. Notice the atmosphere, the shaking of the foundations of the room that they were in. This was exactly what Jesus had promised. But they had seen this before. They had seen Jesus calm the raging seas. They had seen Jesus feed the 5,000. And while this was pretty amazing, it was just yet again another way of Jesus showing some of his cool pyrotechnics and technicolor uh, shows that he had put on before. But notice what the difference was. Luke tells us that they are not just simply observers with the Spirit. They didn't just see these things and feel these things. But the text tells us that the tongues of fire, the gift of the Holy Spirit, fell on each and every one of them. This wasn't just for some, but it was for all of them. Verse 3 tells us that all of them had this happen to them. It didn't happen just around them. It didn't happen in their midst, but it went through to the very core of who they are. This is very different than anything that they had experienced up to this point. Because the disciples all throughout Jesus' ministry, at best, were simply observers and maybe somewhat of partners in what Jesus was doing. Remember, Jesus says, hey, bring me uh, the loaves and fishes, the uh, two, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And they do that, and they're a partner in bringing that. They're the ones that see that Jesus only has five loaves and two fish. But then they're partners because he keeps breaking them and baskets upon baskets are filled up. But this is the first time they've ever experienced for themselves the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ Jesus in their lives. Now Luke 4 tells us, one, I'm sorry, Luke, uh, Luke tells us in verse 4 that all of them then were filled and they spoke in other tongues. They were in a room where they had waited and been told by Jesus the Holy Spirit was going to come. The room starts shaking. It sounds like a rushing wind. Some sort of tornado hits this upper room. And now, isn't it just happening around them, but now they all start to speak in different languages. I want you to think for a moment. I don't know any other languages all that well, okay? I've got about two weeks of Spanish 
uh, under my belt, and uh, I dropped out of that and took a music class just to make sure I graduated. But I don't know any other languages besides English. But think for a moment if all of a sudden I just started speaking French to you. Just out of the blue, think about it for a moment. If you were talking to the individual after church and, and all of a sudden German starts coming out of your mouth. What an amazing event that takes place. And so the thing that's amazing of these tongues of fire is they would know that there's no way that they would have known that language. It's one thing for someone to say, well, I don't know any languages, but, but them to deceive you and, and to speak in another language. It's another to know I don't speak any other languages, and right now, as I'm speaking, another language is coming out of my mouth. The only way I can attribute that to anything is to the gift of God. And so these men and women knew what God was giving them was something that had nothing to do with who they were, nothing to do with what they had learned. God had given them something as a gracious gift for them to use. Now notice, when the Spirit shows up, they're able to do something Something is made possible that was impossible for them before. And the reason is for them to advance the kingdom. Now notice another thing, and that is that stewardship involves not only beginning with God's grace, but it involves us using our gifts. It involves using our gifts. I learned this past week in my studies that the book of Acts speaks more on the issue of stewardship than any other book of the Bible. There are almost 40 references to people using their gifts in the book of Acts. Uh, and that by far is more, as I said, than anything that Scripture tells us. There are people that are both great, the apostles did it, to people who were small. All of them being used by God who were willing to utilize the gift that God had given them from the one who had saved them. Now I want you to notice some of these. If you want to write these down, I'll try to go as slow as possible but for the sake of time, we'll move through them quickly. We see Peter uses the gift of preaching on the message of Pentecost. We see the gift of teaching by the apostles when, they, uh, when the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts 2.42. We see the gift of giving, of money and possessions all throughout Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and Acts chapter 5. We see the gift of hospitality, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, as well as later in the, in the uh, uh, book of Acts by Aquila and Priscilla, who welcome Apollos into their home in Acts 18, 26. We see the gift of healing in Acts 3, 1 through 10, as well as in Acts 5, 12 through 16, where many came and were healed. We see the gift of wisdom and discernment when Peter calls out Ananias and Sapphira, in Acts chapter 5. We see the gift of administration by the apostles in Acts chapter 6 and seeing a need for directors to direct the ministries and helping with service. We see the gift of service and helps with the seven men who serve the widows with the need of food. We see evangelism in Acts 7 and 8 when it comes to Stephen and Philip. We see the gift of knowledge in Peter in Acts chapter 10. We see the gift of pastoring by the Ephesian elders who were to shepherd the flock under their care in Acts chapter 20. We see the gift of mercy by a man named Ananias who was given the charge to go and heal a persecutor of the church named Saul of Tarsus. 
Over and over and over again in the book of Acts, we see people using their gift. Can I tell you, had they not done that, the book of Acts would have been a very different book. Had they not taken the gift that God had given them and used it, it would have not gone the way that we would have hoped. Now notice, the final thing that I want you to notice is that spiritual gifts and stewardship, that spiritual gifts are to be given to others. It is to be given to others. Spiritual gifts are to be a blessing not only to us, the individual, but also to those who we work for or work with as we serve. Now think about it for a moment. In Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire come on the 120, and I got to believe it was a pretty amazing experience. And I wonder if some of them were kind of like, you know what, let's just stay here. And let's just enjoy this time. Let's not go anywhere, but let's stay and let's just hang out here. But notice that the gift of the Holy Spirit created such a commotion, such an amazing scene, that people in Jerusalem began to hear and recognize what was going on. And they could no longer stay in the upper room, but they moved out into the streets and began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. What a model for spiritual gifts for us. Spiritual gifts should make such a commotion, such an impact in our lives, that it is very hard for others to not take notice of them. It is not something that we hide, but it is something that we are able, because God is moving in our lives, that should be seen by others. And so we need to be giving our spiritual gifts to other individuals. Now let me give you an example of this. To be, a, to be blessed... To be a blessing was what Israel was called to do in the Old Testament. We are called to do the same thing. As God blesses us with a spiritual gift, our calling is not to keep it unto ourselves, but to give it to others so that they may be blessed in their walk with Christ. And let me give you a small example. Right now, as we are sitting here, we've got probably a dozen or so people working in our nursery. Now they're holding babies and they're playing with babies and, and enjoying all the babies back there. Now I hope that all of them love babies, okay? I would hate to hand one of my little boys off to one of the nursery people and, and the person across that uh, little window says, oh, another baby, okay? I mean, babies these people are going to have, you know? Come on, is it in the water? Enough already. Well, no, I hope that when I hand one of my boys off to them, that they look and they're like, wow, it's great to have Luke here this morning. I was looking forward to spending some time with Luke, to, to play with Luke and, and to see Luke. But it's more than that. I hope and pray that they really have a desire to be an impact in the lives of those children. And they are. Because I can hear from my own boys as they have grown up the impact that their uh, nursery workers and teachers have had in their lives. But notice that blessing goes more. So you're using your gift in what seemingly is in a, a very unseen spot. I mean, who really cares about the nursery workers? Who really cares? I mean, the show is going on in the sanctuary, and so it's really not about them. But notice the blessing that nursery workers are to the church. It enables a mom and a dad to have uh, some quiet time away from the kids. What a blessing that is. And if you're not a parent, you don't understand or recognize the blessing to hand your child off to someone else for just a short amount of time. But notice as the mom and dad are sitting in this place,
they are being blessed. They are being taught the Word of God, and hopefully what they're being taught is then being taught to their children. And so that nursery worker may not be preaching, they may not be teaching, they may not be all up in front of everybody for everybody to see, but they are using their gifts of their love of children and the kindness and mercy God has given them in a spiritual way to not only take care of the child, but also to take care of the life of the church. Now, I might add they're also a blessing to all of you who don't have children. Because think about three but all boys as infants running around screaming and yelling, cookies flying everywhere. And you're being blessed because we're able to, as much as we love children, to be able to speak of the Word of God and to teach the Word of God without having too many unneeded distractions. Nursery workers are blessed by God to be an incredible blessing. And I could go on with every facet of church ministry, the blessing that you are when you serve the Lord, when you give what God has given you to others. So we've got to use our gifts. We've got to use our gifts because others are depending on it. Paul told Timothy that he was to stir up the gift that was inside of him, to fan the flame. And there's a lot of little flickering candles right now in the way of spiritual gifts in some of your lives. And I would say as Paul did, Fan those into a flame because people are in need of them. Notice the next thing I want you to notice this morning. As we look, it is a spiritual issue, but I want you to notice there's a corporate sense to this. And that is that stewardship helps the church alleviate tough situations. The church is helped by stewardship to alleviate tough situations. I want to move a couple chapters forward to the book of Acts chapter 6. So just move a couple chapters over. As we look at this example, there's some pretty amazing things going on. In Acts 6-1, we've got the same old business taking place. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The church kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Success was taking place. And we know that this was real success. This wasn't simply just uh, people that were hanging around the church just because it was a good show. We know that that wasn't the case because anybody who was playing games with God got a wake-up call in Acts chapter 5 when they see Ananias and Sapphira fall dead because they lied against God. And so we know that Acts chapter 6, this is real growth taking place because anybody who was dumb enough to play with God had already left the building. They said, hey, this is too powerful. This is too uh, amazing what is taking place that even God will drop some of his own people dead if they play games with him. And so the church is growing like gangbusters. People are serious about it, and they're having some amazing moments. But notice at the end of verse 1, a problem breaks out. Notice it says that while the group was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the church is booming, and here comes a problem. And it's not a small problem. These are widows. These are people who are in need of food. They are the least of the least, and as a result of that, they find themselves not being taken care of. The church was called to take care of the orphans and widows in their distress. And it wasn't just that the widows weren't being taken care of, but it was something even greater because now we have uh, some issues revolving some racial tension going on. And so talk about a tough situation. We've got a group of Grecian Jews that are saying, hey, 
I know you Hebrews, man, it's, it started with you guys, and, and you guys have, have been encountering Jesus, and I know all the apostles right now are all Hebrews, and I, I recognize all of that, but, but what about our widows? What about our older ladies that need to be taken care of? They're not getting their food, and I'm sure there was great anger and great frustration that came as a result. I want you to notice something. The first major problem that the first church had was that as it grew, logistical issues became the name of the game. In our last family forum, the elders addressed to those in, in attendance that our issues, thank goodness, are not doctrinal. Praise God for that. They're not even, per se, unity issues. They're not even, what I would say, spiritual issues. And all of that is to be given the glory to God for that. We are a growing church. We are growing like gangbusters here, like we've never grown before. And our issues are parking. Our issues are time frames and, and getting people into one service and into ABFs and to another service. Our issues are where do we put all the people in a room. Our, room, our, our church is pretty much maxed out after we built the building five years ago. They're all logistical issues. And the amazing thing is, logistical issues are a good thing. It would not have been a good thing if there were only two widows in the church because the church hadn't reached out to anybody. It would have been easy for the apostles to say, hey, there's only two widows, let's take care of them and be done. The church was growing and widows were coming to know Jesus Christ as their savior and they had needs and they had issues and struggles that they needed taken care of and the church was missing the mark in addressing them. And as a result, people grew frustrated. And so we see that as the apostles work through this, we see three things that come with regards to spiritual gifts. I want you to notice, first of all, the issue of priorities. Verse 2 tells us, so the 12, that is the apostles, gathered all the disciples. That's a big uh, congregational meeting, okay? Thousands of them came. They gathered together, and notice what they say. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Now, very quickly, what the apostles are not saying is we are above serving the widows. Okay? That's not what the uh, apostles are saying. What they're saying is God has called us to a significant and specific ministry. And notice what it says, to not neglect the word and prayer. And they recognize that. And they see that. And so they said, hey, we've been doing our best to try to pray with people and to pray for the flock and to teach the flock as they're devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But we also are finding it great difficulty to make sure all the food is being served where it needs to be so our widows are taken care of. We cannot continue to be stretched in both directions. We've got to focus in on one or the other. The problem would have been if the apostles would have said, forget the widows, a real church just focuses in on the word and prayer. That's not what they do. What they say is we've got, we're being stretched in two directions. We're going to focus in on the word and prayer, but we've got a solution. And so what they did is they said, we are going to prioritize. Brothers and sisters, spiritual gifts are given to you, not so you can do everything, but so that you can do some things. So that you won't be a jack of all trades, master of none, but so that you can really begin to fan into a flame the gift that God has been given. When I took on this role, uh, I took on the role as a part-time 
pastor. And at that point, all we had was Mario on staff as a youth pastor. And I was overwhelmed by the job of the pastorate. I was overwhelmed by all the counseling and care and, and preaching and teaching. And I told the elders, well, I love the people and want to serve the people. I know I can't be stretched in all directions. And so they said, well, what would you like to do? I said, give me some time to grow into this. Let me focus in on the preaching and teaching of God's word. Let me start there. And what was birthed out of that was something that we've seen from that day, and we've seen it throughout the history of our church, our elders who aren't just board members, but who are shepherds of the flock. And so it wasn't, you know, is Tim going to visit me in the hospital? Is Tim going to come and pray with me? But the greater question is, is there going to be an elder there to take care of our needs? And so notice, they make a decision. It's a priority. And then we see the issue of abilities. We see the issue of abilities. Notice verse 3. It wasn't just left to anybody. Notice the apostles don't say, all right, uh, who out here, who, who's willing to make sure the widows are taken care of? Can we just get a show? Can we get four guys, just anybody? Can anybody just do this so, we can, so those ladies can just be quiet? That's not what they say. Notice what the text says. They're looking for something very specific. It Notice in verse 6, chapter 3, Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Number one, they got to be walking with the Lord. They got to be excited about what God's doing in their life because if it's just simply doing a job, then they're going to take care of getting the food to the widows and nothing more. The apostle said, We want people who aren't just going to move food, but are going to move food by the grace of God for the glory of God. You see, we had people that served us at the Barn Bash last week. Over 800 people were served at the Barn Bash last week. And you could say, well, they just served up Sloppy Joe sandwiches and hot dogs. Really, is that a spiritual gift? It isn't if they just were catering. But what they were doing was being servants so that you and I could enjoy the fellowship of God's people. They sat in the back of a barn while we're hanging out on the hayrides, fellowshipping and loving the favor of all God's people. And they didn't do it just so that our bellies would be filled, but they did it not only with God's grace, but for the glory of God so that the church would be edified in all ways. And so we are looking for people who will serve, not just to fill a spot, not just to do a job, but to do what God has called them to, who has enabled them to do it, and it says, notice, not only for the glory of God, but it's to be done that they are to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. This is where our human ability takes into place. Now, what it's saying is, is we want some strong Christians to go and not only be a blessing with food, but in other ways. But you're going to have to figure out the logistics, making sure that widows have their food is a significant job and so we're going to need some administrators we're going to need some managers we're going to need some people filled with the holy spirit who know how to make sure the food doesn't go bad from point a to point b we're going to make sure that the people that are doing their job are filled with the wisdom needed to accomplish the job and so there's abilities and so it's not simply well i'm filled with the spirit so i can do whatever i want to do each of us each of you have been given a gift or gifts that need to be used for the glory of God. And your job is to figure out where those abilities may fit. Now notice these seven men were picked. I want you to notice it, it goes through all the names and I'll let you, uh, some of you parents that are expecting, you can use any of these names for your uh, upcoming boys, okay? Some great names there. I want you to notice that all the names are Greek. 
Now there's significance there because the issue that was befalling the early church was a Greek issue. It was the Grecian Jews. And the abilities that these men had was an uncanny ability, probably number one, to speak the language. Number two, to understand the customs. Number three, to understand all that would go into what needed to be done for the food of the Grecian widows. And because of those abilities, they were asked to serve. Hands were laid on them, and they were then sent out to serve. Now notice then we have priorities. The decision to dedicate the apostles, dedicating themselves to the word and prayer, saying this is what we're going to focus in on. Seven men who are given the job of accomplishing the task they've been given. And now notice the opportunities when people of God use their gifts in a corporate setting, something takes place. Notice chapter 6, let's see here, uh, verse 7. As a result of them going and doing their task, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And notice Luke adds a statement. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I don't know about you, but it seems awful amazing that because the apostles were able to focus in on what God had called them to, because the seven men were able to accomplish what God had called them to, that then, because people were preaching and teaching, because people were praying, because people were serving, the greater number of people were able to be allowed into the church. Now notice, it says a number of priests also came to the faith. Who do you think would have had a a real hand in serving and, and debating and working through the theological issues of that day with those priests? I think it's quite amazing that the apostles at just the right time made a priority to the word and prayer and that a great number of priests, the heavy hitters of the day, would have an opportunity then to know Christ and to be able to proclaim Him as Lord and Savior. And so what we see is, when we as a church use our gifts, God enables us not only to be able to have a priority of where we're going to serve, but an opportunity to serve a greater amount of people when we use the gifts and abilities God has given us stewardship is a corporate thing and it's something that we as a church must know and understand let me read just for a moment Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 and just listen to these words because you may be wondering where do I serve where do I go we're going to talk about how you find out your place uh, when it comes to ministry but notice what Paul says about spiritual gifts we all have different gifts he says according to the grace that God has given us If a man's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. What Paul is saying is, find your ability, find your gift, and the church's job is to release you to do it for God's glory. And so nobody is exempt from this. And so then we see the final point this morning is that stewardship involves action steps for all believers. This is a message for every Christian, both young and old. God has called you to be his steward because he has saved you, because he loves you. He now is calling to a life of obedience. He's calling you to be a part of a team. And you may not be the best of the group, but God is calling you to step up, if you will, to that golf analogy again, 
do the best job you can and leave the outcome to God. And what I've learned is that every time we do that, God uses people in amazing ways. But there are three reminders that I want you to have. Number one, stewardship will always call us back to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 18, if we want to make the most of every opportunity, if we want to be a good steward, think about that, a steward of our time and our talents, our treasure and our testimony, then we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And though we are baptized into the Holy Spirit on the day of our salvation, each and every day we are called to be continually filled up with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because if we're not, then we're just doing a job. We're just doing a task. And what a sad thing to have the opportunity to serve God's people. And at the end of it all, God says, hey, I hope you enjoyed your Sunday morning job. Because what you were doing wasn't spiritual. You were just accomplishing a task. God says we need to be filled with His Spirit so that we can live out that life of obedience God's called us to. The next thing I want you to know is you need to find your place. I want you to throw up a slide here for us, uh, Dennis. Uh, we have a ministry here, and I don't want to take a lot of time with it, but you've heard us talk about it, and that's the place ministry. And the place ministry is there to teach you your place. And so some of you are saying, yeah, Tim, wonderful message. I'm glad to hear that we need to all do our part, but if I knew my part, I would do it. Well, bingo, in your bulletins, there's an opportunity for you to sign up. Now, place is simply this. Place is an acronym. It is for personality discovery. We're going to find out who you are, how God has made you. We're going to learn your spiritual gifts. We're going to help you understand how God has uniquely gifted you for a kingdom work. We want to look at your abilities. That's the A, ability awareness. So you know what abilities you may have to serve the church and to serve the Christian community in a broader way. We want you to connect your passion with ministry. The last thing we want to do is put you in a ministry that you don't want to be a part of. And so we want to connect your passions with ministry. And then we want to look at your experiences and see how God has used the experiences of life that might impact you and impact others in a powerful way. We don't just do this just to say we can do it, but we do this because stewardship is a spiritual thing. And so we need to find our place. The final thing is we need to be fruitful. We need to be fruitful where God enables. God is calling each and every one of us, hear me out, God is calling each and every one of us to use our gifts. It's not an option. And so we need to use our gifts and God then says, as you use them, I'll figure it out. As you serve me, I'll take care of the rest. The job we have is to plant the seed. God says he will water it and make it grow. And so some of you are worried, well, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. You be humble. You be willing to serve and love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And wherever God has your hands being put to work, work with all your heart. And when you do that, I can assure you, if your heart is right, when you stand before Jesus Christ, God will say to all of us, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to close with these words from John Stott in a message that he had entitled in 19, I think it was 1970, a message called, I Have a Dream. And it's a dream about the church. And we'll close with this. 
He says, I have a dream of a church which is a serving church, which has seen Christ as the servant and it has heard his call to be a servant too, which is delivered from self-interest, turning inside out, and giving itself selflessly to the service of others, whose members obey Christ's command to live in the world, to permeate secular society, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, whose people share the good news of Jesus simply, naturally, and enthusiastically with their friends and family, who diligently serve their own churches, residents and workers, families and single people, nationals and immigrants, old folk and little children, which is alert to the changing needs of society, sensitive and flexible enough to keep adapting its program and ministries to serve more usefully. A church that has a global vision and is constantly challenging its young people to give their lives in service and constantly sending its people out to serve. I have a dream, a wonderful dream of a serving church. Let's pray. Father God, we too, with John Stott, agree that we have a dream that Village Bible Church would be a serving church. A church that seeks to, out of thanks and gratitude, to give themselves over to your word and to your calling in our lives. Father, I pray for each and every one of us here that those who call upon you as their Lord and Savior would ask the question today, am I serving the body of Christ? Not to just fill a spot, but to first of all say thank you, Christ, for all that you've done to give you the glory and praise and to be your hands and feet to our family and to our friends and especially within this body here at Village Bible Church. Lord, I pray that we would stir up those gifts within us, that each and every one of us would find our place and would serve with all our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as a result of that, that many more would come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ many more would bow the knee to Christ and that we would have a greater impact not only in the community around us but to the uttermost parts of the world. Lord, we thank you for giving us this grace. We thank you for giving us these gifts. Now, Lord, challenge us and commit us to the work of giving to others. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you all. Go and serve one another.